What's happening? How y'all doing? We got a little different format for him, you know? Okay, this is wild right now, man. It's the first time we're doing Renegade Culture like this. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like this is like that. It's like this and huh? Okay, okay. You know what? You know the ill thing about tonight? Like our whole team missing. Everybody's gone, right? Yeah, no ear doctor, no server. No server. No jive. Man. No studio? Yeah, it's like we start off with too much cargo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know we anyway. had to strip the show down and get back to the original or just yes. you and me kicking it. Yeah, show these motherfuckers how it's supposed to be done. You true know what that, I'm true indeed, son. Anyway, start off by introducing yourself for those who are unfamiliar. Oh, they, well, they got to know. Kamal K. Franklin, you know, lawyer, activist, organizer, okay. you know, father, husband, all that in between. The man who's okay. on the scene for you and for yours. I got you. I'm from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. All that. that, that like was, that. that yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was really nice. I guess you get making an intro like that because you know you overwhelmed tonight with uh with, with CT. You know, Connecticut's in the building tonight. Anyway, yes, it is. Yes, it is. For those of you who are unaware, you know what I'm saying? If you are uh, somewhere that's colder than a white man, as the air doctor would say, you could best believe. That, that you are witnessing, Kalanji Jamachanga, a.k.a. the riot starter, you know what I'm saying? And I am the host of Renegade Culture alongside Kamal Franklin, who is also a host. See, I was going to say, Coles, I'm trying, trying to keep it 100. I know. I was yeah. like, hmm, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting like, uh, <laughs> my rank is going down. Nah, it's all good, man. It's all good. We got we got too many titles around here. Um, <laughs> besides that, you know, we also co-host uh what's the name of that morning show? The remix, 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 the remix. Remix. Yo, that joint's pretty been pretty hard, man. We've been getting a pretty good response on that, man. Yeah, man. We had a successful first week. We did our three shows yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And yes. you know, we had one bad button push, but other one than that. You know what I'm saying? It was it was like flawless, man. It was a really great show to okay. do. I think people are responding to it. And where else are they going to get revolutionary, radical information told from our perspective as black folks living in America? Well, and we bring out all those issues, man. It's been fantastic so far. Yo, it's been marvelous. Shout out to all the folks who've been checking us out on the original Remix Radio, re the Remix Morning Show. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's been it's been crazy because of the fact that we've been getting up real early. To pull well, that shit off. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, y'all been getting up extra early. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, I've been dashing off. Lunchtime. Yeah, I've been dashing <laughs> off to get the kids to school and trying to rush back before eight yeah. o'clock. Uh huh. That's now, what that hasn't always been successful. I feel a little attitude in the voice, B. Oh, no, no, no. You've been making it before eight thirty. That's good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've been quite surprised. You know, you know what I'm, I'm saying? I'm just a talent, man. You know, all our production stuff, I leave to everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, you the talent like LeBron. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> True. You, know, you want to know about LeBron, check out today's, excuse me, yesterday, because you're going to see this on Friday. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Check out Thursday's episode of the remix, and you can hear what we had to say about, about Bronny Braun. But anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, there's definitely a lot going on. Um in, in the world today, shit's been totally bananas. You know what I'm saying? It does feel weird us being in in on this uh, this different platform today. Um, this is not going to be a regular thing. I want y'all to know that we will be back in the studio. But for now, we gonna you know we said we can't cancel you know Renegade Culture. Nah, nah. I mean, they're gonna be crying. They're gonna be like, "Oh, Kalanji, we've been missing you," and we don't want them to do that. Was that what they were doing? Because of you? So. 
I think, I think so. it's me. I think I, th I think that was I get I get like a lot of fan letters these days. You know. What I'm Do you? Yeah, yeah, a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, you know, okay. I get like okay. emails. People be okay. DMing me. Like, okay. Out, you are you are like the host with the most, man. You like the dude that be you be carrying all these shows. I was like, yeah, I never yeah. knew I'd be you know this good at podcasting. You know, my, when I hit fifty, you know. Like, I, I never knew. Around too, you know what I'm saying? You know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm just you know I'm just I'm just me and shit. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Something bad wrong with you, as we could tell. Um, man, what 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 what's the latest here in the uh, in, in in the world, man? What 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 will we need to hit on, man? Because there's so much going on. I mean, what what's your your take of the world today, man? I mean, I think that you're right. There's so much stuff going on. You got uh, a Biden who, again, is like you know just to deal with some national politics. Um, he's threatening to uh, raise taxes on the rich. Um, mm. But, you know, whatever he does, it ain't going to be enough to solve no problems. And as usual, the news media gets all hype like this is some big, significant change. And again, these minuscule raises, it's not like they they're like redistributing wealth to anybody. But this is like front page news now where all these folks are talking about how potentially down the line there's going to be a raise in, in, in taxes for these folks and that somehow they're going to be spreading some some resources to us all. But again, you know, I just think that's like just more the sauce for the cause, letting cool. them like spin their wheels and so forth. I mean, it's malarkey. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Biden has uh, mastered the art of sophisticated manipulation. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he's been a politician for so long. It's like he's able to finesse and finagle and keep black folks at bay. They still thinking, you know, he's the great white hope. You know what I mean? And And, and the reality is, it's like he's perfect for the time. You know what I'm saying? This particular times right now, these times, this is, you know, you need somebody like Biden because of the fact that if Trump would have still been in office at this particular point, ain't no telling what would have happened because of the fact he'd been saying more dumb shit than he need to. Biden is going to appease and, and, and appeal to the, uh, to the, um, the sensationalism that exists. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? With it, within, within the psyches of man, you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> We, we know it's bullshit and we know that at the end of the day, they're still gunning us down in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Another brother out in North Carolina, his name escapes me right now, um, was was murdered. 43 year old brother murdered in his car, shot up while he was issuing a warrant. I think that was uh, two days ago. You know what I'm saying? Of course, by now, everybody knows about Makia Bryant. That's and right. we have all these folks, unfortunately, who the police did, did a serious PR campaign. They like, yo, listen. You know, she had a knife. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the fact mm -hmm. is, the police were called by her allegedly at 4.22, right? 4.22 p.m. They arrived at 4.34 p.m., which is 12 minutes. So the mm -hmm. reality is, if she was looking to stab someone, you know what I'm saying? She had 12 minutes to do it, and she probably yeah. wouldn't call the police on herself. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. And, we, and on top of that, you know, if, if they got all this other equipment, but you know, they can't tell a gun from a taser these days. Right. They got all these other, this other equipment that's there that they could use if they wanted to subdue somebody as opposed to just taking somebody's life. And it's always easy for them. I think you brought this stat up on the remix show that over a thousand people per year now being killed by the police yes. because it's so easy for them to take our lives in particular and not to worry about any repercussions and to really be honest, it's not to give a damn, right? They don't care about our lives. They just think that we're worthless. They could take it. They'll move on. And for the most part, that's that's what happens. Like this case with Siobhan killing George Floyd, this is an right. exception to the rule. As we talked about earlier, also, these are folks who are saying 
we will sacrifice this particular pig because we know to, in order to, to keep this whole system running, let's sacrifice one because it makes everything else good for us. And that's what they do for us. Right, right. And then, I mean, you know, as we know, that's like, okay, um, you have a pimple. You know what I'm saying? So let's put, let's get some noxema. You know what I'm saying? You have a bump. You know what I'm saying? Let's just, you know, take it as but instead of going to the root of it. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You, you find out that, that it's really not a pimple. You know what I'm saying? You have some type of blood disease. You know what I'm saying? We gotta deal with this shit holistically. That's we gotta right, deal with man. the whole thing. You know what I mean? We get caught up in in uh in in the uh in in the uh in the actual uh I'm I'm not even gonna say the symptom. I'm gonna say we get caught up in in shit in the appearance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the reality is, you know, we know that uh this chauvin pig, I mean, how much time is he really gonna get? Man? Yeah. You know what I'm and saying? And then they brought out these same, uh, you know, they brought out the, the same cats from yesteryear. Yes. To come out and to do the whole crying routine, to, to shed some tears. Um, it's almost like they had a reunion when Obama got elected. That's the last time I seen some of these folks out there crying like that. I'm yes. like, really? Over over this conviction? It's like, yeah, yes. coming back out the woodwork. Because now they see that the other cat, the young, the other young cats who are trying to take their spaces, yeah. they get in trouble because they didn't stole too much money. Right. And I was getting right. to be public, so they they yeah. rolling out they rolling out the seventy year olds to be like, hey, they like one last ride, ride. exactly, yeah, like, like one last ride across the across the uh the, the deserts of mankind. But <laughs> but you know, I mean, you, you're looking at it and you you see Jesse and you see Al and you see some of these other clowns and it's like, man, you know, they they're so tired. You know what I'm saying? But they like, let's go ahead and get this photo op. You know what I'm saying? They've been they've been killing us out here. We haven't been able to get no play because of the fact that uh uh Ben is is running around uh looking to you know front. I mean, this dude is carrying having every case, Benjamin Crump, every case that's popping off, he the lawyer. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how the hell. Is any are any of these cases going to be handled properly? You know what no. I'm saying. And I understand he has a team, but you know you're praying, you're paying for that figurehead. You're paying to lose, or you're paying to get some type of soft slap on the wrist and uh, possibly a lawsuit, and and you're good to go. You know what I'm saying. So, you know, shout out to all the charlatans out there. You know what I'm saying. It won't be long before they're gone. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I think about it real quickly. I was like, I can't. Unlike Johnny Cochran, who got a reputation at least. Mm. winning some cases, right? I yes. mean, yes. won some cases at least, got some folks off, whether Man. I liked him or not, but it, he showed yes. himself to be a, a, a good lawyer. I don't least, know where really. Crump came from. You know what I mean? Man, listen, I'm a better lawyer than Crump, and I don't even have a damn law degree. You know <laughs> I'm like, God damn, some of the shit he came up with, I mean, it's like, dude, it's like you got out of Cracker Jack box. But it's cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I, I feel sorry for the people because of the fact yeah. that the people don't understand what's going on. Shout out to Samaria uh, Rice, you know what I mean, who was bold enough to speak up. And mm -hmm. and and I can't, I can't, uh, I can never, you know, uh, stop giving her credit because of the fact that folks tried to uh, belittle and 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 make her feel like she was, um, you know, some type of uh, anomaly or like she was just mm -hmm. some type of alien that came along. And I can't believe that she's speaking out against all bullshit. That's basically yeah. what they were saying. You know what I'm saying? How can they talk about us having Cadillac commercials and Grammy commercials and Grammy awards and all that? So, I mean, you know, shout out to her for being bold enough to be herself. Because That's of the right. fact that oftentimes here in America, they make you afraid to be your damn self. 
That's you know right. And, that, and that, that's a perfect lead into to one of the main topics we want to talk about tonight, yes. which is sort of like the, 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 the longevity of what's happening in terms of activism and again, organizing and where it's going, and where it's come from. And we, you know, we have a special guest on who's going to come on in a second. We're going to talk about sort of that, that legacy that, you know, we all refer to as something really important to why all of us started organizing and being activists and radical and revolutionary, which is a lot of the cats from the sixties and seventies who yes. put that serious work in and we, how we revere them and how we, as that generation that was born like in the late sixties and early seventies and mid seventies got to at least interact with them when they were still relatively speaking young yes. and still doing some work. Um, mm -hmm. And not all the interactions are positive. Don't get us wrong. But the fact that we got to sort of learn and talk and chat and see all the stuff they're doing and they were doing and how we feel like this new generation of folks might be missing out on some of that stuff because um, they're almost like a derivative of derivative derivative. Right. And when they get, you know, they got in the game, the full nonprofit industrial complex has been so heightened, you know, that it's almost hard for them to see the past. And to see the folks who were doing that kind of work, so were were yeah, they stepped in when it's like all the smoke grenades and flash grenades was was thrown, and it's just like all you see is smoke and mirrors. You can't even see the, you can't recognize the real from Memorex. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, tonight, you know, definitely, I'm happy to have uh, a a a a soldier from Generation Malcolm X. You know what I'm saying? That, that's gonna come out here and uh and rap with us. So, tell them who we got on here, man. We got Brother Hiram Rivera, who's going to be coming up with us. Um, and Brother Hiram is a longtime organizer and activist. He was raised in New Haven, Connecticut, my right. favorite city in Connecticut. Oh, now living in Philadelphia. <laughs> he spent 14 years as a lead organizer working on juvenile justice, education, justice, and uh, policing issues across Connecticut, New York City, and Philadelphia. And he's been a longtime activist in the political prisoner movement, uh, New African independence movement, and the Puerto Rican independence movement. So I feel like without further ado, let's bring on Brother Hiram. Right on. Okay. Hiram from New Haven in the building. What's happening, brother? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on. Running of course, game. man. You know what I'm saying? It's always an honor to be with somebody from Bridgeport. We know how we do this. It's good, brother. <laughs> I got all my teeth, fam. So I don't, I don't know what part of Bridgeport you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for those who don't know, New Haven is 15 minutes away from Bridgeport. Um, some people would say that it was rival cities or whatever, but I wouldn't say that. You know what I'm saying? I'd just say that um that uh that uh you know New Haven wasn't aware that Bridgeport was so dope, but they're good now. We understand that now. But anyway, enough <laughs> of that. <laughs> Good to see an organizer from Connecticut on the real, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Somebody's man. putting in that work, man. Yeah, you know what I mean, thank you, thank you for having me. So, Hiram, yeah. you know, uh, I, I we were saying right before we started, like, I all of us together, we're around similar ages. Um, and when we talk about organizing, we all we we you know, we get into these some of these stories, not only about the work that we've all done, of course, but some of that work in relationship to some of the Panthers that we got to know and talk to and did work on their cases and stuff like that. So I wanted to start by just asking you, how do you feel like getting to know Panthers and working with them has influenced your work and your ideology? I mean, it, it, it it's had a major, major influence, right? Like once once you get politicized and, you know, growing up, so I'm 44, right? So I'm, I'm in high school in the, in the early 90s. 
92, Malcolm X, the movie comes out, right? You got like brand new in them. You got a whole bunch of like this, this uh, in terms of hip hop music, it's this black pride, right? It's a politicized sort of sort of moment. And so we're all getting radicalized. And like most young people, right? Um, some of us who go to college and stuff, and even those who don't go to college, right? Start getting radicalized. I was a five percent, right? Before before that was Nation of Islam, but five percent. So you, you start learning about all these all these moments in, in history and these in these figures, right? And what you end up doing, you start romanticizing the past. You start romanticizing a lot of stories of the Panthers and the BLA and, and all that stuff. And to be able to speak with those brothers and sisters who actually lived it, right? And hear the good things, but also the not so good things. Also the work that went into creating that, right? Also the, the, the struggles, the sacrifices that had to be made to be able to, to, to do that work. Um, was a real eye opener for me. And not only that, but was also them being very clear that the state plays no games, right? That if you enter this life, if you choose this path, right? Um, of liberation, of revolution, all that, that the state plays no games, right? And the state comes back real hard. And so hearing the sacrifices that not only they made, but their families had to make, right? Their children have made as a result of either them going to prison, their comrades being killed, definitely stayed with me and definitely influenced a lot of the way that I choose and chose to go about my work, right? Certain level of, of discipline, there's a certain level of rigor, right? And you basically have to show and prove. And just to even get close enough to these individuals, right? You had to show and prove. Like someone had to know who you were, right? You couldn't just come on the scene and being like, yo, I'm so so from around the way, you know what I'm saying? Um, I want to talk to you about all kinds of stuff, right? They had to know like, who are your people? Who, who could vouch for you, right? Who's seen you do the work? And who's right. seen you do good work before you come in here, right, talking to us or, or, or talking to that? So I think it's had an incredible amount of influence on me. In New, New Haven, uh, definitely, you know what I'm saying, when you talk about New Haven and Bridgeport, when you talk about the Panther Party, it was a serious influence. Um, and, and uh, I mean, they had the Alex Rack Rackley case out in uh, New Haven. Folks like George Edwards out there. Shout out to George Edwards. You know what I'm saying? And, and a lot of these freedom fighters where they where they tried to actually uh, uh, indict Bobby. Uh, uh, Bobby Seale. Bobby Seale. I'm, I'm, I'm about to say Bobby Hutton. Where they tried to indict folks like Bobby Seale. And it's like it's 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 crazy because of the fact that folks don't know, you know, all of the freedom fighters who came through there. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, Erica Huggins and, and John Huggins and all them. You know what I'm saying? There was some serious workers out there. Yeah. In Bridgeport, Craig Kelly. And the, these folks, in, like in Bridgeport, uh, they had a Panther chapter out there where they actually had, you know, they banged out with the police. It wasn't a situation where, you know, they were they were afraid. Oftentimes you hear about the chapters in New York. You hear about the chapters on the West Coast, but you don't hear too much about some of these other areas where they put in work, not just on, you know, anti-police terrorism, but organizational work as well. So when you talk about uh, sitting at the feet of elders, for lack of better words, you know what I'm saying? You were in the heart of of uh, of resistance. You know what I'm saying? Tell the people about uh growing up in the area you come from and coming into that whole politicized politi politicalization. Yeah. So I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, right? And really the only thing, if you're not from the tri-state area and tri-state for us is, is Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. I don't recognize any of the tri-states. Um, <laughs> basically you don't know nothing about Connecticut or New Haven except Yale University. Right. And that we got the greatest pizza in the world, right? 
other than that, there's really there's really not much, right? And, and Connecticut as a whole is just seen as like farmland and trees, right? I mean, PT right. Barnum was from Bridgeport, right? Yeah. That's why they're a bunch of clown ass ninjas down over there. But <laughs> other than that, right? Other than that, there's not much known about New Haven. But Connecticut, and Claude, you know this, Connecticut is one of those places, man, where it's you either rich or you poor. And there really isn't too much of a buffer, especially back in the 90s, especially back in the 80s. Right. You know, that's what was happening in New York, whatever was happening in Yonkers, whatever was happening in that area, was happening definitely in Bridgeport, which was an industrial city, right? Um, that suffered the, the, the incredible collapse that all these industrial cities did, Detroit, Philadelphia, right, when those industries folded in the 70s. Um, New Haven, even though that Yale University is, is sits in the middle of the city like a castle, it's still surrounded by hood, right? And there's that strong dichotomy of like the haves and the have-nots. Um, and so coming up, so coming up in New Haven was it was dope. You know, Connecticut, Connecticut was dope. Um, you're not that far away from New York City, right? You're not that far away from Boston, you're not that far away from Providence, right? Um, you're really close to everything. And so you kind of caught the vibes from, from, from all those places while still having your own vibe. And so basically, real quick, what you dealt with was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of drugs. In the 90s, you had the gang explosion in Connecticut with the Latin Kings, right? Who was just killing everybody. Um, Zen predates and then leased like the Bloods. And the rats, yeah, yeah, right? the making gangs, yeah. You know, you, you had you had the, the, this, this gang explosion that was happening um, because you are or in the shadow of New York City and forgotten about, it doesn't get a lot of attention. It's not a lot of resources, not a lot of, like there's nothing, there was nothing in New Haven, right? Kalanji <laughs> mentioned earlier, there was a mall, if you want to call it a mall, right? Other than that, there was nothing. There's no movie theaters, there was no ballparks, there's no sports, you just, you just out there, right? Um, but what we did have was history. And what we did have, like Kalanji had mentioned, were these old Panthers like George Edwards, who was still around, uh, Kathleen Cleaver, Right, who was still teaching at Yale University. From time to time, you would get folks like um, Afini Shakur, who was also right in New Haven. Erica Huggins, who was who was in New Haven. Um, Bobby would come through back in the day through New Haven, and so you had a lot of folks, right, um, who under the shadow of the city, right, New York, had all this history and all these connections and all these stories that they were able to like share with us and pass down to us, and that was. Um, and that's just on the black side, right? That's not even talking about the Puerto Rican side or any other or the other community. So, you know, if you were open to it, and if, if you were putting that work, um, then you had a, a real cool opportunity to, to meet a lot of a lot of folks. No doubt, no doubt. I was going to say, you know, my my first experiences with like Panther folks were probably the political prisoners before I even got to meet like folks live. Was like writing folks like uh, Bashir Hamid. Um, uh, uh, Jaleel, of course, when he was in, uh, writing, uh, say, cool, um, Abdul, uh, um, uh, Abdul Majid, uh, Bishay Ahmed Abdul Majid, um, and, and several other ones, and just writing them and starting to go visit them, kind of like starting to really shape, you know, before that it was all up in the books, but then you got to right. talk to these folks, and the thing, the thing that always struck me is like, you know, they, they weren't like superhuman people, right? They, you know, they had their foibles, they they tell some good stories, but they were committed, man. They, I mean, they were really committed to like being on the block and working with folks and doing that day-to-day -day stuff. And like, you know, we, we recently now ourselves had a conversation with Sekou in the studio and he, he was talking about how, you know, like, like 
you know, if something happened to somebody on the block, they called the Panthers because they were getting evicted. Five minutes later, the Panthers have them back in their house. You know what I mean? It was like that kind of in the street work and politicizing people. Um, and then when I later on got to meet people like Ashante Austin, um, nice. Jeruba, um, and several other folks. And I feel like, you know, of all the Panthers I've met, met um, those two probably, uh, and then later on Kathleen, but those two probably stuck with me the most just because of some of the stories that they told and some of the actions that they uh, that they were a part of, but also just some of the, the hurt, you know what I mean? Some of the, the hurt and tragedy that they went through that still impacts them to this day, right? You know, and it's like, do you, you get to learn that the revolutionary lifestyle is not something that you engage in unless you're really, really serious about, because it brings wounds and, and bandages and shit that they don't, you know, they don't, they don't even try to act out or put on you, but that stuff gets put on you because that's what they know. You know right. what I mean? I, I, I met Daruba and, and I could see that he was carrying grudges, you know, from the time he got out to like 40, 30 years ago when he came yeah. out. You know to I mean? now. To now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's a, and there's a brother, there's a brother that, that Kalanji mentioned named George Edwards, right? Yeah. One of the founding members of the Panthers in, in New Haven. And, you know, for a long time, you know, George, George is definitely uh, uh, an older brother. Um, and George is a committed Panther, and George will tell you, I'm not an ex-Black Panther, I'm still a Panther, I never stopped, right? Um, and there's a lot of folks who feel like, like they do, they question George's uh, mental health or George's, right? Because they're like, man, let that go, let that go, let that go. But George is all the way there, but George carries a lot of those scars, right? And being able to talk with George a lot and really build with George those years that I was back home, um, really shed light on that because when you watch the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, right? They talk about the dude George Sams who was going from chapter to chapter causing problems, right? And led to the murder of Alex Rackley, uh, part of the New Haven chapter, right? So a brother who came from New York and was labeled a cop or whatever in the New Haven chapter, things happen, right? Where uh, Warren Kimbrough, uh, George Sam, some other folks were torturing Alex Rackley in the basement. The same time that Bobby Seale had come to give a speech at Yale University, right? This is, this is around 1970, right? During that torture session, decision gets made to murder Alex Rackley, right? And so Judas and the Black Messiah touches on this a little bit and they mention New Haven, right? And for folks who don't know what the hell New Haven is, they kind of just went over their head, right? But what happens is that when they murder Alex Rackley in that basement, George Edwards was also getting tortured Tortured meaning they would, they would have boiling water, they pour pour boiling water on them, they pistol whip them, they do all kinds of stuff to them, right? Um, to get them to, to admit that they're cops. George gets let go for some reason, right? Alex Rackley gets taken up north, and then he gets he gets murdered and put in the uh put in the river. What happens is the state comes back and then they try to pin that murder on Bobby Seal, saying that when Bobby left Yale. Bobby went over to Whaley, uh, to the to the house on Whaley Avenue, right, and gave the order to kill Alex Rackley. This is coming from George Sams, who, as the movie shows, was a federal agent who was going from chapter to chapter doing the same thing, trying to get folks caught up, right? Because that was the state's tactic of taking the leaders, putting them in prison, and then all the resources of the chapters, all the resources of the organization goes to trying to free Bobby, free Huey, free Eric, right? Constantly just freeing people, and you're not doing the work, you're not doing the work in the streets in the city, right? There's a tag. With, with that then comes right. So with all that, those little physical scars and emotional scars, you have these elders like George who still hold on to that, right? And there's a lot of um ends up being a lot of resentment from that time as well, 
right, around what they did, what they were doing, and the truth of what the Panthers were, right, outside of our romanticized um, notion. Well, you know, and also um, All Power to the People. If you check out the film All Power to the People, you can see George in there, and I think he touches on um, uh, on that situation as well, which was uh, which was huge. You know what I'm saying? But um, something important you said in regards to like George Sams, you had not only George Sams, you had so many different uh, agent provocateurs that uh, worked different situations, like the whole uh, Bureau of Special Services out in New York. You know what I'm saying? They hit up everybody from uh, Malcolm to to the panther 21 and beyond you know what i mean um uh what's what's the cat name that was uh that was in the ballroom with malcolm um i know that he was uh uh he was was a detective with bossy i can't think of his name but i know that that he was on the case uh running up and down the east coast with with a lot of the panthers i believe the river being one of them but um i think that one of the things that 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 people in this generation this this uh newer generation one of the things that they they think is it's a thing of the past. So they're not seeing the provocateurs and the snitches and the agents and shit that's running around right now. Right now, it's more sophisticated because of the fact that you have the whole Internet situation. So you have social media. So you got motherfuckers friending cats that who, they never met in real life, but they calling them comrade because of the fact they posting the shit that you that that you like or they liking the shit that you that you think. You know, they 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 have psychological profiles. They they study you. So they know what you're into. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, 10, 15 years from now, five years from now, or or five days from now, you'll find that a lot of these motherfuckers ain't who they said they were. You know what I'm saying? So um right now, I think that one of the things that that this generation lacks is the ability to co-intel proof themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Because of the fact that with us we had the opportunity like you said to sit at the feet and to study from these different ogs you know what i'm saying from these political prisoners we've been doing this work so long that i remember there was a time that no pps were being released you understand what i'm saying and it was like we had the posters and shit set the captives free you know what i mean and, and we just thought that you know we were we were we, we had hope i don't even know if we really had faith but we damn sure had a lot of hope you know what i'm saying um what would we say to the to these to the uh millennials you know what i'm saying how do you co and tell pro proof yourself because right now what i'm seeing just just even with our with our with our, our youtube shows and shit when we go live we don't know who the fuck is who you know what i'm saying but you got familiar faces familiar names or not even familiar faces just familiar names all the time what what advice would, would you both of y'all because i think that instead of this being an interview it should be more of a conversation what do you guys think that um that, that what kind of advice would you hand down to the new generation and some folks from our generation because they fucked up too? I think for one, starting starting with us, right, is putting our time in its in its proper context and understanding it, right? And so a lot of my organizing um and activism started with political prison work, specifically Puerto Rican political prisoners, right? Where right. Puerto Ricans were always going back to the 70s, right? We're always able to free um, our political prisoners, right? And there's a lot of reasons for that and, and why why Black Panthers and New African prisoners stayed behind the walls, right? And the Puerto Ricans were able to, to come out. Um, but what, 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 what I say about us putting it into context is that what we do a lot of times is we still hold on romanticize back in the day. 
And when we were coming up and organizing, and even in traditional community organizing, IAF style, Alinsky stuff that we were training, right? It's basically, um, there's a lot of deference, right? You always gotta prove yourself. You can't talk until you have proven that you have done X, Y, Z. You can't hold space until you have proven that you've done X, Y, Z, right? You suck until told otherwise, right? Um, and so for us coming up, and I remember coming up, right? There was a lot of silence, right? I wasn't asked my opinion too much. There wasn't a lot of space for me to be contributing to the conversation. It was you listen, right? You listen, you be quiet, and you listen. But part of that, the reason we played that role as well was because we were still, and I'll speak for myself, right? We were still caught up because these elders were still relatively young-ish, sure. right? In the 50s, 60s, you know what I'm saying? Um, in the 70s and in the 80s wasn't that far away. So when Matula and them get, get caught up, right? In the, in the Puerto Rican, the FALN, it's like 84, right? Um, you still holding out these hopes that you could be the second coming of the BLA, right? That those times are gonna come. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the most disciplined brother, I'm gonna do my push-ups, I'm not gonna smoke, I'm gonna drink, I'm gonna be on my you know saying, on my square, I'm gonna be ready. So when I get that call, right, I'm ready to rock out and rock and roll, right? And I'm prepared to do my part as a soldier in this war, you know, for liberation of our people. And that war never came, right? And in that silence, there was a lot of stuff that got to slide, right? We were very bad on the gender question. We were very bad on the, on the, you know, a lot of the, the, the messed up stuff that was happening inside the organization and also excusing the messed up stuff that, that was happening in the Panthers' time and during our elders' time. The stories that we heard and we kind of just brushed off and be like, uh, all right, we still going to put this person on a pedestal even though I know mm, they did a lot of bad stuff. And even though this other that come out saying, elders, women, other folks who were harmed by these people who were saying like, yo, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did, right? Because you pedestalize these people because you hope that one day in your illusions, right? And in, in your crazy romanticized notion that I can play that role too. You let a lot of stuff slide, a lot of stuff that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have slide, right? Go by. And so what I say for now, you know, the game has changed. And with the advent of social media, you don't need to actually do the underground organizing to build a base. You actually don't even need a base of followers of people to listen to you, right? You just throw some shit up on, on the internet and boom, it's going to get shared and it's out. It, it's off and running, right? Um, with social media comes the, 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 the commodifying and the commodification of not only movement, but ourselves. Every time you're taking a selfie with someone on Instagram, you're selling yourself, right? It's, it's, it's a form of like commodification, like you're branding yourself, you, you, you're selling yourself, right? Um, and our movements have been sold. Our movements have been commodified, right? A lot of the work that you see now isn't so much organizing, it's branding, right? And you take, you take this image and you make it seem like it's a lot bigger than what it is. And when you really break it down, scratch the surface, and you look at all these organizations that right, are out here, you're really talking about two, three people, right? There's very few organizations that actually have actual bases or actual memberships. And those that do, when you keep scratching the surface, there is no real politic there. There's no theory, right? There's, there's, there's no, so we have whole movements that don't have a class analysis, that don't have a theoretical foundation, right? That don't have an actual politic, but they got shine and they got money. Right. And it's rolling. And so my advice, my advice to, to the younger generations, and, and I've been a part of it, right? I've, I've been a part of working with teenagers and working with, with the current organizers and, and all the, you know, I know the heads of this current, this current moment that we're in very well. 
um, is to, to do the knowledge, right? Slow down, read, study, right? Have your, have your principles and your politics very clear um, and take the time to talk to these elders and for the elders, right, to catch up. The game doesn't change. There's some things that you just can't, you, you just can't let slide no more. There's certain things you just can't, positions you can't hold anymore, right? And do our best to go back to an intergenerational way of dealing with each other because those relationships have been too severed and it's messing everything up, right? Um, but in terms of the, to, to wrap this up and to, to answer your question directly around the, the COINTELPRO piece, man, it's just get back, go back to the hood, go back to the streets, right? The internet is cool. The internet is a powerful tool. But unless you, in those streets, building relationships with real people, there's just no real way you can protect yourself from the state and the fuckery that's going to come. Unless you are out building bases, building actual relationships with the individuals in the cities and neighborhoods you live with, you are always going to be susceptible, right, to to the to, to the fuck real estate. Um, I was going to say one, you know, one thing I I used to do, I used to be better at. I don't think I'm that good at it anymore. But I used to keep a wide array of friends, friends who were like liberal, middle class. Um, uh, I tried to know every now and then um, uh, uh, a particular person who had some clout. Because I thought it was always wise in terms of that romanticized vision of like the work that we would do. Like, you know what? If you ever get caught up on something, what you need is people to come out and vouch for you. And you need people who got all these different positions to vouch for you so that, you know, at the very least, it protects you in some way if something goes down or whatever like that. But I was going to also say, like, you know, I think one of the key points that you touched upon in terms of how the game is played is, is you know, when we go back to like the, the 60s to our generation to what's happening now, money just I, th I think it was probably when I was in my my mid 30s that that the, the explosion of of the potential for resources for organizing became a more of a reality. Right. I think when I first started organizing, it was still on that track of like you do it because of your ideology, you put money together. You do fundraisers at the house. You know what I mean? Like if you get somebody who gives some money, it might be like $500. But for the most part, you know, that stuff is, is hand to mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point in, you know, being in New York, at some point in like around like 90s, somewhere between 90s, I'm going to say like 96, 97 to 2000 something. Of course, there was always some money before that. But the the way in which whole organizations could survive because they got grants, right? Mm -hmm. And could say that they were political, could say they were radical, but they they survived um, and shifted what they depended on or who they depended on for funding to the point of everything became um, the 501c3, the yeah. nonprofit status, the yeah. applying for grants, the single issue organization. Uh, it became, and in this, you know, obviously in this time period, it's it's all it's exploded tenfold. Where like you like not only the branding but the whole careerism and right. the resources you can make. It's almost it almost is like a profession, right? Because right. you could be you could be middle ground profession, like like you know like a singer, backup singer, or whatever like that, and play your role for like 15, 20 years. But those those backup singers all are looking for that album to hit, and that's what you got in organizing now. You got folks who are waiting for like you said their social media to pop. Because they were in the right place at the right time, or they created some stir around something. Doesn't matter if they did the work. Doesn't does, that doesn't even make any difference? But something can pop, 
And then all of a sudden, these folks have platforms and access to resources that, you know, again, 15, 20 years ago and beyond, no one had access to that. And that, and that and for the most part in those degrees, unless they were really the mainstream organizations, right. you don't have right. to be that anymore. And I think that that's kind of like just so that's, much the dynamic. And that's, a, and that's a huge piece, right? I mean, another, another, another thing that I always tell folks, right, is that we need to build independent political organizations, community yeah. organizations, not no more nonprofits. You need political community organizations, right? Because after the Panthers and all of them, get destroyed because of COINTELPRO and, and, and all the infighting and stuff. Then comes these, these uh, neo-Alinsky organizations, the ACORNs and all of those stuff, right? And Saul Alinsky being right seen as the godfather of, of traditional community organizing or whatever, his main thing was stay away from ideology, stick to bread and butter issues, right? Don't do the ideology thing. That's, that's some old communist bullshit, right? Stick to bread and butter issues. So you end up with the ACORNs and all those folks who start doing those single issue right um programs and then what ends up happening is that continues to blow up and the nonprofit industrial complex starts to grow out of control i say this as a director as having been a director of two nonprofits right so i'm not just talking i, I know because i've been in it right and what what has happened now this is what i said earlier right the moment that we're in i don't call it a movement and it's not to be disrespectful to the folks who are doing a lot of the work for the past six or seven years with the blms and the mfbls and the, all of that stuff right but the reason i say this is because i feel like it's not a movement it is a massive nonprofit sector exactly right? what it is because movements cannot be run and led by nonprofit organizations because of the inherent boundaries and confines you have because of the foundations and, and the money that comes in, right? Um, now, is there a role for nonprofits to play that can be useful and helpful? Sure, right? But you, unless you have a political home outside of that, outside of that group, unless there's a political organization who you are accountable to, right? And this is the key thing that, 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 that we're missing, I think a lot more in, in, it's not to say that it didn't happen back in the day, but a lot more in this generation, in this moment that we're in, is that you don't have to be accountable to a base. You don't have to be accountable to people, right? right. I can I can, I can, can create a blog post, I can get on Twitter, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to actually answer to nobody and hold the line anymore, right? Um, but without that, you're gonna just be spiling around. Oh, there's a whole lot of money and it is a snake pit. I'll tell you that right now, this whole policing stuff, right? With the narrowing of, of um, identity politics, right? Identity is political, but with the narrow and depoliticizing of identity politics, right? And and Dr. CBS be talking about this all the time on y'all shows and stuff, right? The depoliticizing of identity, the depoliticizing of of abolition, the depoliticizing of uh, anti-colonial work or whatever. What you're left with is just catchphrases and rhetoric, and not real politics, and you're not accountable to people, and that's where you get swept up. And you can be used and manipulated and end up in Cadillac commercials because what's your politic, right? Who's your organization that's telling you, whoa, that's not the line. You're not holding the line, right? And not to just pick on that. There's many people in many ways, right? A lot of folks getting PhDs, a lot of folks writing books, a lot of folks got mortgages, a lot of folks got, right? There's a whole lot of stuff. And I understand that people need jobs, right? And with the nonprofit industrial complex did was when you lose factories and the factories close, right? And you lose a lot of jobs, these things come up and you gave poor people an opportunity to get a gig, but not only a gig, a gig that's supposed to be, right? Committed to helping your community, right? Um, 
And now that's switched. We're now because of lack of jobs, a lot of these directors got law degrees. A lot of these folks have PhDs, right? Now you have this. And so another advice that I would give to answer um, Kalanji's question around the advice is, aside from joining political organizations, right, building and or joining political organizations is have the conversations around, <laughs> right, the, the, the bourgeois aspirations we've been socialized into having, right? The petty bourgeois positions a lot of us hold, right? Whether we want to admit it or not. And what comes with that? Because once you start making a certain salary, once you start having a certain access, right? It's real hard to, to, to give that up, right? Uh, Kali, right? Brother Kali was on Facebook talking about, you know, committing class suicide. Right and 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 Michael Cabral's class suicide, and we don't even know what that looks like in the United States context. He was talking about folks in 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 Guinea-Bissau, right, going to the countryside, abandon your 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 professional careers and go to the countryside. There's no countryside in the United States. What does that look like today when we got these degrees, we got these positions that pay us all these salaries, we got insurance in a country that has privatized medical, you know, medical shit. I got a job that gives me insurance. I'm supposed to just give that up for what and go where. We haven't done that political work to be able to answer those questions to then help the organizers of today instead of just bashing them and being like, man, y'all small bourgeois, elite Negroes, opportunists or whatever, which a lot of them are, that's true, right? But what is the alternative that you give it? Aside from just shaming them, what is the alternative? What are we building, right? To be like, here is the is thing. And then lastly, for those people, if you don't like that, if you don't rock with that, What's the answer? As an organizer, what's the answer? Build your own shit and I'll organize it. Simple, right? If you don't like it, build your own organization and I'll organize it and show the people, right? And let the people decide what they want to choose. And the people always going to choose the right path. You know, it's really ill that we're even having this conversation. You know what I'm saying? Just coming from um, from the backgrounds to, to, I mean, I never imagined that there would be days like this, you know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's like I came from such a, a grassroot sector, a true grassroot. It's like the whole definition of grassroot ain't even the same anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like one thing uh, Fred was talking about before. Chairman Fred Jr. was talking about about if, if these motherfuckers are, are grassroot, we must be groundhogs. You understand what I'm saying? Because of the fact that we're so far beyond just that that particular this new dynamic. Um. I'm, I'm trying to figure out because I, I, I definitely unite with, with what you were saying. I'm trying to figure out like, how do we, um, for lack of better words, take control of that shit? Because what's going to happen is with this whole class struggle within movement or within organization or within organizing, because like you said, I don't consider it movement, but who gives a fuck about what I say? If, 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 you know, if you say you this, then that's what the fuck you are according to social media. You know what I'm saying? He just hating. You know what I'm saying? Is is how it comes off. But how do we take control of this situation? Because the reality is, you cannot wage a revolution in that manner. You understand what I'm saying? You would never be able to wage revolution if you if you are um, uh, if you are um, relying on you know some of these particular perks. You know, at what point we'll be able to stop the train and say, look, this shit must go. At what point will we able to say that, um, yes, we have to abolish this shit, period? 
You know what I mean? And, it, and it's not a, 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 a myth or not a, a dream. When, when, when do we get to that particular point and how do we bring it home properly? Because of the fact that at the, the rate we're going, you know, we, we're going to go further into uh degradation, man. We, we're not going to, it's, it's going to be impossible to get up out of this situation. I think what, what, what we need to do is build again, our independent political organizations, right. And out organize what, what, what we got out there. Right. Our organ. I don't think you can you can stop. I don't think it's our, our job to go out and try to stop the the, the nonprofit stuff or the, or the shenanigans or the opportunism that is happening right now. You build your base, you build your organization to then be able to battle right, and present to the people. Here's the alternative. Here's why that doesn't work. Right. Here's our solution to this problem. The problem isn't these you know other black folks, these other brown folks. The problem is still and will always be this capitalist system, this white supremacist, this white supremacy system. Right. Um, in the United States of America itself. That will always be the enemy of the people in the internal colony here in the United States and externally, right, uh, for the rest of the world. And so what you do is you build, you get your politics right, you build your organizations, you build your line, you go to the people, right? And then you start building and growing from there. And don't worry about getting into social media battles with folks or getting into, you know, feeling the need that you have to shame people or, or do all that stuff now you question one question right but there's a way to mount critiques criticisms and self-criticisms right if you just engage in in, in social media bullshit too well you know better than, than that person right the people don't want to hear all that the people are being gentrified out of their neighborhoods their water is no good their babies are getting shot right the schools ain't worth a damn you know what i'm saying they don't have time for our organizer beef around who should be getting shine and who should right our work is to get back into the streets build those organizations and then out organize right whatever we think isn't working and that is the way because again and also understanding that, that everything revolves around time place and conditions right and right now we're not living in a revolutionary moment so we keep looking back to the panthers and them without understanding that at that same time the the, the countries in africa were liberating themselves from the colonial oppressions right in the 50s china was freeing themselves, right, from, from their situation. Vietnam was freeing itself, Cuba, right? The whole world was on, is a completely different wave. We have been living under generations and decades of neoliberal victories, hardcore US imperialism, right? And so we also gotta be a little patient with ourselves to be like, dog, we living in some times that the world has never lived in. Because now they got robot soldiers and robot police dogs, and they can see ahead of a quarter from out of space. And they, you know what I'm saying? Like you need to be a little patient with yourself and get back to the tried and true. Read, 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 study together, build your cadres, right? Build with the people you you know, build that trust, build your organizations, and then go back to the people, right? And the people are gonna guide you, and the people are gonna let you know what they need, and then move from there. And then yes. that show right the, the the true path now i also add train to that particular dynamic as well because of the fact that i think that we have uh we have some folks who are so uh uh physical we have some folks who are so mental and some who are so spiritual that there's no balance you know what i mean so definitely make sure that there's a balance in this shit because of the fact that you could read to the, to the sun go down you know what I'm saying? But if you can't, you don't know to take that motherfucking book and, and use it for more than just a, a reading tool, then, then you're going to have a hell of an issue. A hell right. of a problem. That's a practice, right? That's Chairman Fred Hampton, right? He's like, yeah. without, without, without practice, that's just some bullshit, right? You can just yeah. read it. Cool. Right? 
cool tweets, but if you ain't actually out there doing the work and practicing, then none of that means you. You actually right. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so before we, we wrap up a little bit, I want to talk a, l- a little bit about the Puerto Rican independence movement with you, because Puerto Rico has been in the news, um, hasn't been in the news th- that much lately, but over the last year or two, obviously it was in the news a lot with Trump's bullshit and the rest of it. Um, and the idea of of Puerto Rican nationalism, again, in terms of like the times we're in now, seems to be almost off the table as sort of like, again, the way that the sort of neoliberal capitalist system is working and disaster capitalism, um, you had uh, the great storms and everything that happened in Puerto Rico. You had folks started to migrating up here to the quote unquote mainland, right? Um, and then you have all these, the, the destruction of the economy, you have all these white folks purchasing and so forth. So like if, if, if you had any sort of prognosis for what do you see happening in Puerto Rico and what do you think the people are turning? And I mean, we also had a time period where people started turning out the, the, the governors because they were like, you you just playing that same old game and not doing anything. So what, what do you feel like politic are at, is at in Puerto Rico right now for some sort of radical movement or radical change? It's in a crucial place, right? Since, the, since, the, since Hurricane Maria hit, um, everything has been just totally flipped on its head, right? And right after that, uh, Barack Obama had put in place a fiscal control board to basically control the island. And, and, and the fiscal control board's priority and main goal, and number one goal, is to recoup as much of the, the debt Right, that they say Puerto Rico owes basically Wall Street, which is $84 billion, right? Um, and so they're selling everything and privatizing everything, everything, everything. What popped up during that same time, when basically when the, the puppet government that exists, because Puerto Rico is a colony, right? It, it, it is a colony, a puppet government. When the state fell after the hurricane, literally, when the government couldn't do nothing, provide nothing for the people, it was just you could find these individuals, right? Um, the people themselves start to set up these mutual aid programs, right? Feeding each other, uh, uh, trying to rebuild their homes, trying to do all those things. So you still have a lot of that energy. The problem is with Puerto Rico is that Puerto Rico has always been a colony, right? Since its creation, since the arrival of, of, of Columbus in 1493, and when Puerto Rico was created, it's never not been a colony, either of Spain or the United States, which is heavy. Right. The only other equivalent you could potentially put it is the new African nation here. Right. Now, if if if, if black Americans want to see themselves as a nation, right, it would be a colonized for just for just as long. Puerto Rico is the same thing. And so so what happens is, is that, you know, for most people, they can't envision beyond their colonial status. They can't envision beyond what life is without the United States, which life under the United States has been nothing but death, torture, murder, right, um, all, all kinds of stuff. And so what you have now is this, this phenomenon of, you know, with the Democrats and, and Donald Trump and, and the Republican control, what came out of that is Democrats trying to figure out, yo, how do we fix the game? Because these politicians are always trying to fix the game. How do we fix the game to ensure that we stay in power forever? And one of those things is, well, what if we give the, the, the territories, is what they call them, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Guam, what if we give them voting rights? Because right now, these territories, even though they're United States citizens, they can't vote for president, right? And the, the gamble is, right, and the assumption is, is that all these places, especially Puerto Rico, are going to be Democrat. They're going to vote Democrat all the time. Let's talk about making a mistake. Because if we make a mistake, 
that's guaranteed another Democratic block. And you know what I'm saying? We can lock this thing down. What does that mean for PR? Well, what that means for PR is that now you have the influx post post uh, Maria and with the climate change and now this political thing of the Democratic Party and United States philanthropy dumping a lot of money into Puerto Rico and the professionalizing of the liberation movement and the social justice movement in Puerto Rico the way they did here, we were just talking about in the United States, right? Where now you have professional organizers, where now you can't do no work without a grant. Right, without uh, having a nonprofit organization leading a, a, a movement, and for Puerto Rico is is wild because we're talking about a national liberation movement, right? You're talking about a country that has been literally at war with the United States for 123 years, right? We have had political prisons because it has been a war, um, and so what what is happening now? Well, you end up with with everybody's, you know, what I'm saying favorite AOC. Uh, and, and Representative Nidia Velasquez coming up with this with this bill that's basically saying, you know, they're calling decolonization, right? They want to have a plebiscite where Puerto Ricans will decide their fate, right? And put this put this bill because the Republicans and the other folks are being like, well, let's make it, you know, let's make it a state, yada, 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 and we can lock this down. And they're like, no, self-determination means the people in Puerto Rico get to decide or whatever. But why is that a problem? Well, one, Representative Nidia Velasquez was the Puerto Rican face of the PROMESA Act in the first place, right, that Obama signed to put that control board in place. This woman is responsible for putting that control board in place. Now you turn around and be like, no, Puerto Rico needs self-determination. Here's this other bill. Second is that this plebiscite also leaves statehood on the, on the table, right? So you're talking about decolonization. How does statehood equal decolonization. You'll end up being Hawaii. The kingdom of Hawaii was taken forcefully, right? And what ended up happening was their native population was decimated, right? They turned them all into Hilton hotels and mansions or whatever, right? Hardly nobody speaks Hawaiian anymore. Hawaiian culture is now just some shit that you package and sell to tourists, right? Hulu skirts and that's it, right? And they want to do the same thing to Puerto Rico, right? Which Puerto Rico is a, a military outpost. The United States has always attacked Every Latin American country the United States has invaded or attacked, they've done it from Puerto Rico, right? They tested Agent Orange in Vieques, Puerto Rico before dropped it over there in Vietnam, right? This is what the United States has used Puerto Rico for. There are more targets and Walgreens per capita, per space in Puerto Rico than anywhere else in, in the United States because of these tax breaks, right? And now you have the cryptocurrency uh, uh, crackers and all these other millionaires coming for it to buy up, buy up, buy land because everything is so cheap and everything has been decimated because of this control board that Obama put put down, right? And so now you want to say, well, let the people decide and self-determination. Well, the United Nations resolution has already said what decolonization looks like for those colonies that still remain in the world, right? And it means independence. It doesn't mean what AOC in Washington, D.C. wants us to do is basically go back to the metropole, go back to the colonizer itself and let the United States Congress decide whether we get to be free or not. And so to, to wrap this up is, you know, it's this real, real tricky place where now you have this new generation that is looking at the United States. Right. It's looking at the, the, the current movements in the United States and it's trying to copy that. The identity politic language, the, the, the narrow identity politics, the narrowing of of anti-colonial stuff, right? Because they know that's what gets shine. That's what's gonna get you to blow up. That's what's gonna make you be, right, the leader. There was this pushback against the charismatic black leader. We heard that for years, right? The charismatic black leader, y'all need to sit down, y'all need to go away. No more Malcolms, no more of that, right? 
There was no critique or criticism of the charismatic black female leader and what that has meant, right? Um, but what you end up having, even more so than that, is a professionalization of, of movement and the shine, right? So now you're, you're battling funder money, the, the Center for Popular Democracies, the OSFs, the Ford Foundations, so all these people coming in here, um, basically selling us that this is your national liberation movement comes by way of a grant and U.S. Congress telling you, you know, whether that's okay or not. When you and I know, right, that the only way any country has ever won its independence is through struggle, actual revolution, right? And on his birthday, Lenin has said, revolutions on a tea party, right? Revolutions are violent, revolutions are full of sacrifice. It's not fun, but that is the only way towards liberation. And so where's Puerto Rico gonna go? You know, it, it's interesting because a lot of folks on the ground who are pushing back against this professionalization and this new non-profitizing of, of the struggle. Um, but when you're talking about folks who are poor, bankrupt, there's not, there's, there's not a lot there, right? The influx of that money is really powerful and it's, and it's really shaping stuff up. With the massive migration folks who leave the islands, right, and headed to Florida, like tech, they're not even going to New York no more. They're not going to Connecticut no more, right? They're going down south, um, which creates a whole different, you know, uh, context altogether for the Puerto Rican diaspora. Hey, man, the only thing I like about Puerto Rico and Congress is Don Rafael and Lolita. That's the only thing I like about Puerto Rico and Congress. If you're talking that language, then I'm all for it. You know what I mean? And, and, and rise in power to Don Rafael because Don Rafael was a serious freedom fighter. You know what I'm saying? Transitioned a couple years ago. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we definitely uh, appreciate that force. And also folks like Dilcia Pagan and all these other folks who, who fought and, um, you know, for, for liberation and continue to fight. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm glad you... I want to add, brother, because you, you bring all this up, Kalanja, and, and you share the knowledge of, of, of Puerto Rican history that you have. And I think it's something that's pretty unique to us up north, right? Because when, when you talk to folks down south, because the communities look very different, right? They don't have that same interactional understanding of black and brown solidarity. Or, and, and even in our time, it wasn't even referred to like black and brown. It was just known. It was family and shit. Right. Um, it, it was never labeled black and brown. But what, one interesting thing is that when I say the reading and the study, for me, what was always clear and how I ended up doing this work, I ended up doing this work because I idolized Malcolm, right? My parents moved me to an all-white high school, right, because they didn't want me being a Latin king in 1991, right? And you know how it is. So you go to school with white folks, you're going to get a good job, you're going to get an education, boom, boom, boom. The education and all that is really good. What they didn't prepare me for was the racism and the classism that was going to come with that. Right? right, and so at right. in 1992, at 15 years old, Malcolm X's movie comes out. I don't know. I just see it. I'm like, boom, there it is. I'm tired of being called nigger by the kids in my school, and I'm tired of being called homeboy by my teachers as well. I'm tired of this of this shit, right? And I go and I go to a Nation of Islam meeting because, like, I don't know what else. They this seems like that's the move, right? I go. I'm sitting there in the minister like, Minister Muhammad was was giving his you know his talk and I go afterwards and I'm like, you know, minister, I don't understand it. I go to this school with these rifles. I'm from New Haven, but they got me out here in this town. I don't know what's going on. They keep calling me nigga. I was like, Minister, I'm Puerto Rican. I don't even know why they keep calling me nigga if I'm Puerto Rican. He looks at me, he goes, Brother, 
and boom, right? It just goes into like this point and starts breaking it down. Through that, I start understanding and learning, right, about the Great Migration. And so when the Puerto Ricans are being exiled in 19, the late 1940s, 1950s, this is when we get that large migration of Puerto Ricans to the North, to Chicago, to New York, to Philadelphia, to Connecticut, and all that, escaping extreme poverty because of a hurricane that had hit back then, right? And the United States using that opportunity to do the same thing they're doing now, right? At the same time, you've got new Africans, black folks who are escaped in the South, going up to these same cities, right? And we meet at that at that point because of the same thing, you're escaping political violence, physical violence, unemployment, right? And just everywhere the state can mess with you. That's why I've always understood the great migration is actually refugees, right? Those are new African refugees. If those folks could have stayed in the South, they would have. If they could have stayed in Mississippi, they would have. They went to Chicago, right? Louisiana went to LA. North Carolina went up to New York or whatever. I say this is because there's the shared history, the common enemy, right? There's a common enemy, a shared history that we have. And if you keep working, you keep reading and building with folks, you can find those connections with everybody, right? And this is what led the chairman to this whole rainbow coalition idea, right? This understanding, the understanding of class, right? Which you have to understand class, you have to understand capitalism, understand each other's struggles, but we are a lot more aligned and linked up than we perceive. And one thing that I see now in today's movement is that solidarity, intercommunity solidarity or internationalism is not as important, is not as deeply rooted, right? Is not as embedded in our struggles as it was back in the day. And if anything, it's just some like cool thing you kind of throw up there like, oh, free Palestine. But you ain't really, you don't really mean really about that life, right? You ain't really about that life. And to close this out, what we need to do is understand that if we say we are fighting, let's get in a fight and let's move like we fighting or like we're going to take a fight. Because right now we just moving like we're surviving and we moving like we're just trying to get over and we moving like we're just trying to like, yo, we're trying to live through this and survive through this. And I get that. I got kids. I got, you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that. But if we say we fighting, then that, that 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 calls for a different level of preparation, a different. And I'm not talking about just guns and bombs and all that. I'm talking about the way you see the world, what you read, the, the, the theories you come, the plans, the, the, the organizations that you build, and let's do that. If we if we ain't doing that, then you know, let's stop saying. It. No doubt, no doubt. We had we had Felipe Luciano on from the Young Lords and the Last Poets and shit, and That's um. You know, he 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 was wild like the Taliban. You know what I'm saying? And that and that's uh, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's necessary when you. It, it's it's funny you said the whole thing about um, uh, the difference between the North and the South and the relationships. You know what I'm saying? Because growing up in places like Bridgeport and New Haven and Hartford and Stanford and Brooklyn and the Bronx and Newark and all these other places on the East Coast, it's like there was uh. You know, there, there was times when you have your, you know, your 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 Puerto Rican parades and your Boricua pride and all that shit. But every day, you a regular motherfucker like us. We in the same houses. We sleeping in the same motherfucking rooms, eating the same food, calling each other niggas, talking shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you learn. Know, you learn how black you are real quick, right? I learned how yeah. black I. Man, listen, I got I got seven nieces and nephews, you know what I'm saying? Puerto Rican, you know what I mean? And and it's just is what it is. They look like me and shit, but 
You know what I mean? Some a little darker, some a little lighter. You know what I mean? And we we've been banging out. We've been fucking with, you know, uh, 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 dealing with protesting the whole Vieques situation. We've been dealing with, you know, the welfare poets and shit like that, which is one of my favorite groups because of the fact that they put that, you know, their, their, their symbol alone, just that that red, black, and green and that that hatchet, you know what I'm saying, the Tainos and the Africans, you know what I mean? So it, it's crazy, but just, just traveling and, and, and just being in different regions where they like, oh man, I don't fuck with them cats, or I don't fuck with that. And it's like, wow, it's like you you amazed once you leave once you leave the tri-state, it's like you leave a fucking <laughs> you leave your, your moat and your, your like you said, the castle and the moat, you pass by that shit. Things ain't the same no more once you once you pass, you know what I mean? Uh, I wouldn't even say George Washington Bridge going into once you pass New Jersey, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? When you, you start going down that line, you hit Delaware and all that. You're in a yeah. whole new world. You know what I'm saying? But definitely we appreciate you coming on and shit. Um look look forward to you coming back. It was refreshing to uh have someone to talk more than us that's making sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. That was fantastic. And, and I'm gonna let you slide in that dart you through a bridgeport. Don't do that shit no more, man. I, 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 you know you gotta go back through there. I don't even know why you're trying to act like that, especially when New Haven is the home of the Illuminati. Where, where both bushes came out of, but we ain't gonna talk about we ain't gonna talk about that shit right there. We ain't gonna talk about yeah, baby. We ran out of time. Is that right? We ran out of time. We ain't, we ain't talking about. <laughs> yeah, you come back on. We can do a part two. Y'all can really go into it. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the brothers. And, and you know, I talk a lot. I apologize for that, but uh, nah, nah, nah. You nah, made sense. I'm, I'm fucking with you. Uh, a, great, a great um a great deal of respect for for what you all are doing and, and the black power media and the renegade culture and everything that y'all doing man because you're doing the work that i was saying you're you're providing that alternative right there's a lot that's going on in in, in this world with the nonprofits and social media and all that stuff and you all are providing that alternative right you're providing that that, that different and i really appreciate the work that you do jared ball is doing uh, Dr. CVS, Group on Nation, all, all of it, right? All of it is, is, is greatly appreciated. I wish y'all nothing but um, continued success and keep growing and keep building. Because there's a lot of us out here, we listening, right? We listening and we appreciate it and we out here just trying to work and, and, and do the damn thing. Yeah, stop saying y'all say us. You home, man. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Whenever you, you know, whenever you want to come through this, our first time meeting and shit, you know, but I, I respect yeah, the hookup. This was definitely come out hookup because I don't got no degrees. I don't come from no school. I don't got nothing. I'm hey, is this and I'm like, yo, come out. You understand? Know What's good, Playboy? That's how it went down. Hey, hey, only come out could do that, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm living on the prayer over this motherfucker. Everybody looking like, how did, how you get on Black Power Media? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, look, I, I, I had the Freddie Fox that shit, bumpy knuckles, I had to come through here blazing. Hey, I want to apologize to all y'all Patreon. You know what I'm saying? Subscribers who will be like, what the fuck? I paid for this shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna be a regular guest. This is just, you know, the studio is shut down. These brothers needed something. Okay, right <laughs> hey, nah, yo, we're going to get you, get you back on soon for real. Yeah. yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming through. I appreciate, no I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. No doubt. Be safe out there, G. Free Mumia. Free Mumia. Free Mumia. Free them all. Free the land. Free them all. Free the land. Salute. Okay, right, man, that was a real good show, my man. Of course, you know what I'm saying. It's renegade culture. What else would it be? It's funny. I was talking to the ear doctor. He was like, "Yeah, y'all should do like 30 minutes or whatever." Boop de boop. I'm like, man, go ahead on with that, man. <laughs> we, 
we go we gonna fuck the time over since you ain't here telling us wrap it up. We're gonna do it all now. No breaks, we just gonna keep on moving and talking all the way through. And the shit was hard, so you know what I'm yeah, saying? Man, he was thing. fantastic. He was fantastic. No, no doubt, no doubt. For the listeners, I, I almost forgot that we was on the air for a few times and shit. I'm thinking we just kicking it, we just talking shit. But um, to the listeners, you know, keep on supporting. Uh, support our Patreon. Go to BlackPowerMedia.org, and you can um, you know, you know, support this shit, man. We have a lot of dope folks on Black Power Media. We have, like the brother said, you know, um, the last dope intellectual. We got I mix what I like. The Luke Mon Nation, you know what I'm saying? Renegade culture, uh, uh, real talk with Sundiata. We have a few new folks that's just coming on board. We got you know the what I mean? podcast that debuted tonight. Yes, yes, and that, that was dope, man. Shout out, shout out to them, man. You know what I'm saying? It's good right. to see some younger folks on board. That's Word. right. And next week, we're gonna have some new special guest hosts on the remix, yes. and it's gonna be exciting for everybody to see. So, we want to thank everybody for coming no out and with us on Renegade Culture, your home for like radical social commentary information and no nonsense we don't we don't kick that bullshit over here that's right and that, that's coming from kamal if he if, if, if like 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 what it's malcolm like said we can curse anytime we yeah want like, like malcolm said <laughs> if, if reverend Cleeg said that here preacher you know what it mean to me you know what i'm saying <laughs> and, and, I, and i'll be remiss if i don't mention riot started tv that's right i'm moonlighting true that, true, check true. out the new episode on uh saturday but um we love y'all we appreciate y'all support again blackpowermedia.org do us a favor. If you can't do nothing else, we want you to spread our message. Go ahead and uh, uh, retweet, re, yep. re, uh, apply, respond. Repost. You know what I'm saying? Repost. Definitely repost yeah. because of the fact that, you know, folks always talking about we need an alternative media. You know, this shit ain't going to just pick up and fly by itself. That's right. We got a helicopter. You know what I'm saying? But we, we need the motherfucking uh, propeller. That's you know right. what I mean? So right. help us get that propeller and we're going to do what we need to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Kamal. Travel safe out there. You know Thank what I mean? Do what, you, do what you need to do. I don't know if you read any of them books behind you, but you know what I'm saying? Because they seem to be in the same order every time it pops up. But it's cool, though. I'm fucking with you, though. <laughs> I read all my books, brother. All of them. I already know, brother. I heard the rumors. I heard the I used rumors. To. I used to read them all. I don't read them no more. I was like, Dude, I, I ain't even going to lie, man. If you get to a certain age and shit, you just try to, you you read you read uh, history <laughs> and you read what's going on in society today. You know what I'm saying? You just like, look, get no. real out this motherfucker. It ain't too many more books we can read. You know what I'm saying? That, that's going to uh, take us any further. But definitely, man, stay on point. Keep winning. You, you listen to Renegade Culture. And as always, we ready for revolution. Peace. We out of here. Peace.